Recorded live. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another exciting episode of Ninja of the Woods podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Jim Blanton. Guys, I've got a great show for tonight. Uh, but before I get into that, I want to talk a little about a event coming up in the town where I am close to. It is the Paracon, and it's going on at Pine Mountain State Park Resort June the 9th from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. Folks, this is going to be a great, great event, family-oriented, free to the public. You guys will have to come on out and check that out. There will also be seven speakers. Of course, I will be a speaker there. Don't know why they would want somebody like me to come and talk about Bigfoot or Dogman or anything like that. But if you want to come to the circus, guys, just come on down and listen to me that day. Uh, there'll also be a couple more. I'm thinking altogether there's seven speakers. We have a Thomas Markham of the CryptoCrew.com, Tony Felosi, who is a paranormal investigator uh, in the town here where I live at in Harlan County, Kentucky, along with Holly Mullins from Virginia. Holly is what uh, some refer to her as a granny woman. A granny woman, if you're not familiar with what a granny woman is, uh, they're sometimes called mountain witches in the area where I live at here in Kentucky. Uh, she works. She's also a psychic medium and works with crystals, uh, cleansing chakras and energies and just to make you feel good. But guys, that's June the night from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. Come on out and enjoy it. Tonight's guest, I have Lisa with us. Lisa is with a group. She has a group on Facebook called the Lycan International Sasquatch Association. And I was recently at, I asked her if I could be a member and she was kind enough to let me become a member. Hello, Lisa. How are you doing tonight? Good. How are you? Can't complain. Really wouldn't do no good if I did, but. I'd like for you to tell a little bit about yourself and what got you in to the phenomenon as we know as Dogman and Sasquatch. Okay, so I am in my mid-40s. I am a mother of four children. I am a U.S. Army veteran. I have been researching Bigfoot since 2002, I believe, and Dogman since um, at least 2015, I have had several encounters myself um, that I definitely can't explain. Uh, but some some uh, close encounters with both Sasquatch and Dogman. Uh, it seems to be a thing that runs in my family. Um, I've had encounters with my parents, with my grandfather. Uh, my grandfather and his father had had some close encounters that I'd heard about. And my children also have, have seen some of these things. So interestingly enough, it seems to be a family thing. Um, I first, I don't, I can't really tell you when I first became interested. I can think of off the bat, but I, I know the first time, the first time I'd been exposed to the idea of Bigfoot was probably back in, back in the 70s when the show In Search of was on. And they had a, a, episode that was dealing with the Sierra sounds, which absolutely terrified me. Um, but my grandfather was the first person that ever said the name 
Sasquatch or Bigfoot or Yeti. And it was something that he was definitely very enthusiastic about and um, believed in wholeheartedly. Uh, In fact, I had an encounter out at his place in um, southern Illinois. And um, he had also let me know that he he was also having his own encounters out there with, um, as far as we know, at least one really very big male. And um, as far as Dogman, you know, I... I had had encounters with something, and I didn't really know what it was. But I came across the kind of show about three years ago. And I was just on YouTube looking at some other stuff, and it just kind of came up in the feed. And I saw it, and I kind of thought, okay, that's absolutely ridiculous, you know. But I was curious enough, and I I think I remember just clicking on one of the, the episodes, and I started listening. And then I listened to a few more, and the more I listened to some of these eyewitnesses and what they were describing, it made me realize that not everything that I had encountered was a Bigfoot, but it was something else. And so I um, I hadn't told too many people about any of my encounters because for a long time I felt like there was something wrong with me, especially, you know, especially because it wasn't one, it wasn't two, it was multiple so, um, so I really didn't want to talk about it because for a long time I thought maybe maybe I was crazy or maybe I was imagining it or maybe there was just something really wrong with me. But um, when I contacted the Kundis, he called me. And, in fact, I think our first conversation lasted for about seven hours. And we were, we were on the phone most of the day. And most of that was just him reassuring me that I wasn't crazy and that I wasn't alone and that there was a lot of people like me and there was, even people that had had close encounters with these creatures such as myself. So um, pretty much it, it has involved over the course of three years for me going to, you know, being an eyewitness. And when I, when I first went on his show, I told him that I didn't want to come on um, and use my real name or anything because I wanted to protect my family's identity too. And, um, my, my then husband had a prestigious job and I didn't want anybody knowing that it was me talking about this because I was scared to affect him. So, um, Understandable. Kind of right. Lisa kind of stuck, and um, I ended up getting involved with some of the groups online, and I was, I was doing my own research, and I was continuing to have sightings, but my kids were also having sightings. They're, they're, they're seeing things as well, um, where we are here in Middle Tennessee and stuff. So, um, so I kind of went from eyewitness to researcher, and... Um, I started Lycan a year ago, and um, you know, and I've actually been asked to by a few people to to go ahead and start doing my own radio show, which I plan to do later on in the year. But um, it just kind of evolved into something else. I mean, it's still for me, it's still a touchy subject. I still have days where I absolutely don't want to talk about this stuff, and I and I really, you know, want normalcy. But this is kind of my my normal, and um. I know having people to talk to has really been therapeutic. So for me, I, I'm really interested in reaching out to other people who are going through this because it's, it's hard to live with this, especially if you have ongoing activity. But I'm also, I've also been embraced by a lot of researchers in both communities, and that's been great. And we've been able to compare notes and learn. So, um, and I'm an advocate, true believer that there's no experts in this field until until somebody exactly. can actually, yeah, until somebody can live with Bigfoot or Dogman, like, in their clan, you know, 
for several, several months, you know, 24-7. There's just no way to be an actual expert on this stuff. So I'm not, I'm not an expert. I don't claim to be, um, you know, um, but there's definitely variables and there's definitely some things that are absolutes. So, um, so you know, everybody's just trying to really grasp this. Um, Sasquatch seems to be a little bit more straightforward in some ways um, than Dogman, and Dogman seems very mysterious. But both of them just kind of seem to have a, you know, a never-ending rabbit hole. You know, once you think you you you've pegged it, uh, something new pops up. So there you go. Yeah, that's. Um... I done a show. I think it was like last year. Uh, PTSD and cryptids. Mm-hmm. Um, for those that for those that are listening that don't know what PTSD, it's post traumatic stress disorder. Now, you mentioned. Uh, I noticed that you were a veteran. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you for your thank you for your service. And uh, I'm, I've got veterans in my family younger members of my family that's came back from iraq recently and has made uh his sixth time being over there which we i never could figure out why he kept going back but he always says if he didn't do his service to his country that he felt like his grandfather would roll over in his grave and i understand that but i'm beginning to start to work with um people and ptsd with cryptids uh uh-huh. like you said in a way it's it's therapy to get to talk to someone that has the same type of uh situations uh the same encounters that you have it it's uh, it uh-huh. always works out real good in the end um, yeah yeah i i think i have ptsd um from my early childhood encounters and um i mean once i reveal that story you'll probably see why but i'm pretty I'm pretty sure I do. I, I've always had lifelong triggers, um, certain things that really freak me out. And it actually took me um, until just recently, because I'm still talking about this stuff, to make me kind of realize, oh, okay, well, no wonder I'm like this. Now, now I get it. So, yes, I do. I do think so. It's a traumatic event for a lot of people. Um, you know, you're you're dealing with something that's not supposed to exist, and it does exist. And then when you have a, a close encounter with it, that's that's rough too. But even even just sighting one of these things can really, really, it can it can be damaging. You know, especially, you know, we live in a society where we're taught monsters don't exist, and yeah, that's exactly. kind of driven into our heads. Exactly. And then as soon as you see a monster, that really screws up your whole world. So mm-hmm. yeah, it can be very traumatizing. Yeah, it, it can it can do uh, give you mental hardships. That's for sure. I mean, like you said, um, you're at a young age and you see something that resembles something from a movie. Uh, okay. You have been told all your life, you know, that are not real, and then to see something like that, it, it does traumatize you in a way. Um, I have a friend of mine, uh, Miss Claudia Ackley. She has a lawsuit against the state of california's fish and wildlife because an officer kept telling her that what she had had seen was a bear and not a bigfoot even though claudia had just shown her on her daughter's camera or on her daughter's cell phone i'm sorry she the daughter she didn't know at the time was taking you know film of it she was recording 
the whole encounter and you can see this huge sasquatch look to the left real quick and then that's when the video ends but she's she showed the footprints that she had cast uh, pictures of the feet footprints um, they recorded the height of the creature and everything and this agent still denied and kept telling her over and over you seen a bear she would say no I seen a Bigfoot I just showed you video you seen the pictures why can't you get that through your head I'm sorry I just talked to my supervisor and he says you seen a bear so it really, really, it really bothered her and her daughters, um, especially the daughter in a way. I think she has, um, it's tra traumatized her a little bit for a long time. She, uh, Claudia was telling me that she would have trouble sleeping at night and was having nightmares real bad. Mm -hmm. And and I, I really do feel sorry for people that have these encounters what they have to go through through their daily lives the questions that they keep asking themselves over and over again uh -huh. but if you don't care could you share a little bit of one of your encounters when you were younger with us well sure um you know for me in, in looking at all of this it's best for me to kind of go in chronological order anyway and my 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 earliest memories of you know, any encounters are probably the the most um, most craziest in a sense. Um, so I um, I'm originally from Bennington, Vermont, and the the town itself has a lot of mystery concerning it. In fact, um, if you're familiar with David Polites, he mentioned the Bennington Triangle, and my my hometown is a part of that. Where about 13 people disappeared under very mis mysterious circumstances between, I believe, the late 1940s and early 1950s. Um, and all in this one area of the long trail that goes into Glastonbury Mountain. So um, that's, that may or may not be a connection only because there was rumored to be um, something that they called the Bennington Monster as well, which they described as a Bigfoot-like creature or type creature um you know that people have been seeing since supposedly like the 1700s i don't really know um but for me I, I actually didn't even i remember very briefly hearing about the bankton monster as a kid but i never knew about the disappearances until i actually wasn't living in vermont and i just happened to stumble across it on the internet um so we were living we were living in just pretty much a suburban neighborhood. Now, it's, it's a small town, 16,000 um, people, and it's surrounded by mountains and rivers and creeks and, and caves. There's a cave system. And where I was living, um, we had a golf course near us, and it entered into the old historical part of town that was, you know, all these houses were built during the Revolutionary War and everything. And then past that, it just spread out into farms and, you know, um, kind of the foothills for the mountains. So um, when I was about five, um, I was a bit of a wanderer, um, and I discovered this, there was this patch of woods that my backyard led up to. And so I remember wandering around in there, and I found a playhouse. 
And the playhouse was kind of in the woods, but it was connected to the backyard of somebody else's house. And I guess this was like the adjoining neighborhood um, behind mine. So, you know, being that young and stumbling across this, I mean, this, this thing was, was packed. It had, you know, all kinds of toys in it. It had a little table to sit on. So, you know, it was great for me. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have anything like that in my house. So I would often sneak off and go into this playhouse. And sometimes I would just be minding my own business. And all of a sudden, this feeling would come over me that I couldn't explain, but I would just feel instantly afraid. And sometimes I would just bolt out of the playhouse and just run home. And I would stay, you know, out of those woods for a few days. So this was the pattern for a while, and I ended up bringing my older sister there one day and showed this to her, and she was sitting at the table with me, and, and we were, you know, kind of having a good time and everything, and the same feeling, like I actually remember watching the, her face kind of change, and all of a sudden she looked at me and she said, you know, um, I feel really creepy here, and I think we should go home, and so I agreed with her, and we, we left and went home. So one day I snuck out there and the people that owned the house that um, this playhouse was on, like the property, um, they came home. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, great, I'm trapped. I can't, you know, I can't leave because they're going to see me. And in fact, I remember watching the lady of the house, you know, very pretty lady, very, very hippie-like, open up her sliding glass doors and she had um, like the screen kind of closed. And she put on some music, and then she sat on a cushion with an acoustic guitar, and she started playing guitar. So, and she's making eye contact with me. Like, I, I'm remembering this. I'm remembering now. I'm thinking, you know, I was being flick, and I was hiding, and she couldn't see me, but I'm pretty sure she, she knew I was there. But she's playing guitar, and she's kind of looking out into the woods and everything. And all of a sudden, um, while the music is playing, I hear what sounds kind of like humming or buzzing. So it sounded very low, and it sounded kind of like bees, and and it was several voices. It was several individuals, Um, and there were different octaves, and I remember just kind of sitting in the playhouse hearing us, and next to the playhouse to my immediate right was a birch tree with a V in it, and for whatever reason, I just looked at the tree. And in the V, I saw this black eye blink and look at me, and I flew out of the playhouse and ran home. So a few days later, um, I guess I got the courage to go back in there. And I left, you know, I was starting to leave my yard to the back door and, you know, walked through my backyard, and all of a sudden... um, I got cut off and this thing was standing in front of me and all I remember is lots and lots of blonde fur, not hair, um, but blonde fur. And I just looked up into the face of this creature that um, I've been told was probably a type three dogman. So um, I just remember, you know, the hair or whatever, fur was completely covering the face, very large brown eyes, but you could still see a little bit of white, and a nose 
that was kind of smushed in, maybe a little bit like a dog, uh, a bulldog, or maybe like a Boston Terrier. It was that kind of style. So it, it definitely looked like a dog's nose because it was black. Um, and then ears that were more lynx-like and, and less dog-like. But I actually, if you remember the picture from my profile, um, that's it. That's the creature. Um, and oh, actually, wow. A different eye, yeah, a different eyewitness in Arkansas saw exactly the same thing, and that's her drawing. And I asked for permission to use it for my, my profile. That's exactly what she looked like. So, um, and I'll, I'll, you'll see why I call her she later. But anyway... So this thing wasn't very tall. I don't think, I don't think she was any more than maybe five two. You know, and I was I was little. I was five, so I may have come up to like the bottom of her rib cage. But um, she had the right side of her body facing me, and she just was kind of looking down her nose at me, and I'm looking up at at it, and I'm not feeling afraid. I think kind of what was going through my mind is, okay, this is a monster. I've seen these on TV, okay. Um, you know, almost like, okay, well, I already knew that these existed because I saw, I saw it on TV. And she ended up turning her head and looking um, past her left shoulder, and there was a second creature. And this one was a lot taller, and it was red, covered in red hair. And it was so tall that its head was actually in the boughs of a maple tree, so I couldn't really see any details. But I just remember um, black eyes, I think, uh, blinking and looking at me and then I watched it turn its back and it was actually standing in my parents' garden and they started to rip the plants up. And I remember yelling at it saying, I'm going to tell my dad on you. <laughs> and I turned around and ran in the house. So I ran in the house and I, and I shut the door. It was a storm door, but um, the blonde creature was like instantly on the other side of the stoop and she was kind of peering in. And so that was when the fear kicked in because I was afraid that she'd, she'd find a way in the house and that she'd hurt us. Yeah. So I, sh- I shut the door and I went into the living room and I told my parents, hey, there's monsters in the garden and they're ripping it up. And my dad, my dad didn't have a filter. And so he said, you know, BS. And my mom just kind of just kind of made a face and she went into the kitchen and she looked out the back door and she looked, she looked around and she said, no, there's no monsters. You know, and I, I went running over there like, what do you mean? You know, because they were just there. And I remember looking out and there was nothing. There was, you know, saw the same thing she did. There was nothing there. Wow. So, right. So um, then they, they gave me this big lecture about lying and, you know, and telling stories and all this other stuff. But I was insistent. You know, I really saw this. And of course, mm-hmm. they didn't believe me. So, um, um. You know, I don't, there's there's bits and pieces that I think I possibly just don't remember and may have blocked out. But um, the next thing that I do remember is that my parents had a friend come over and he brought his little girl who was about my age. And um, she was really shy and, and like, you know, it felt like every 10 minutes she just burst in, into tears because she wanted her dad. But the adults wanted to talk and so they had me bring her upstairs to my room. And my sister and I were trying to entertain her, and she'd be fine for a few minutes, and then she'd start crying again. So I was trying to think of what I could do to make her, you know, feel better and everything. And then I remembered the playhouse. So I was like, hey, you know, I got this secret. Do you want to to come see? And so I brought her, 
you know, outside and into the woods and into the playhouse. And we went in and we were playing for, I don't know how long, but we were playing for a while. And this thing had, you know, cutout windows and like a cutout door. And I remember I was sitting in a position where I was facing one of the cutout windows in the door. And she was facing, like the window kind of facing out towards the right or the left. And all of a sudden, I see the big red-haired creature, or red-furred creature, I don't really know what it was, walking past the windows. And again, it's still too big for me to see its head, so I still never saw its head. But it's walking past, and I don't, I don't even know if the, if the other little girl saw it or not, but I saw it. And it walks past, and then right behind it, here comes what, what I refer to, I call her Blondie. Here comes Blondie. So she's, she's looking in the window. She looks first at this, at this little girl. And she turns her head, and she makes direct eye contact with me. And I remember the little girl just kind of was whimpering and just burst into hysterics, and I dove underneath the little table that was in the playhouse. So I dive under the table. And Blondie comes to the door, and she wedges her feet and her legs and, like, you know, most of her torso into the door. And then she's kind of standing with, like, her arms or front legs, whichever, folded on top of the roof. And she's kind of peering down, and she's looking at me, and she's showing her teeth. And to me, you know, from a child's perspective, they just, they look jagged. So... I'm not sure if they were actually just jagged or sharp or she was gnashing them, but she ended up making like a lot of vocalizations. And so a lot of it sounded like growling, but it also kind of sounded really gurgled and kind of trapped in her throat. And she, she looked like she was having a good time scaring me and this little girl. So both me and this little girl are screaming and crying. And I remember the little girl saying she just peed herself and, you know, that just kind of put me into overdrive. And, um, trying not to get hysterical and I'm right next to her feet and you know and and I'm noticing like this weird kind of arch on the top of her feet but everything is on straight legs everything is just covered in this fur and finally I reach out and I start pounding on her feet and I scream move and the growling stops just completely cut off and, and I look up at her and she has this look on her face kind of like she's offended and she moves away so I grab this girl, we go running out of there, and we can hear her father calling her name from my backyard. And I'm telling her, I said, you know, don't, don't, don't tell him what happened. You know, we'll just tell him that you had an accident. And um, she was still, you know, kind of crying and everything, couldn't really speak. And yeah. so we get to my backyard, and her dad's there, and she just runs to him and just loses it. And he's like, what, you know, looks at me, and he's like, what happened? And I said, well, she got scared, and she had an accident. So he he was always he was like visibly upset, you know, that she peed on herself and stuff. So he ended up taking her home. Well, I had this feeling come over me that I felt like I needed to go apologize to Blondie. I was scared that she might come after me for hitting her. That that just kind of ran in my head. So um, I don't know how long I deliberated over that decision, but I ended up going back into the woods by myself and um, back into that area. And I just started talking and just saying, you know, I'm really sorry that I hit you, that you scared my friend. And um, then all of a sudden she was just there. It was like she just kind of appeared and there she was. And um, I remember sitting down, 
kind of like in the leaf litter and in the dirt, and I was sitting cross-legged, and she copied me. So she sat in front of me, and I remember um, the way that she looked at me, it, it kind of reminds me of like, if a dog or a cat is really just kind of smelling something strange, how like their eyes will kind of dart everywhere. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like she was doing that. So it was just kind of like, you know, there was like these really kind of quick jerky movements of their head, just kind of looking me up and down and just really kind of looking me over for like the first time. And then I think I said to her again, I'm really sorry that I hit you. And then she reached out and she patted me on the head three times. And I remember it was pretty heavy. Like she was really heavy handed. And I remember feeling it in my neck and kind of like my teeth clicking. Like that's, you know, it's powerful. And the next thing I know, she just grabbed me. So she grabbed me and she ended up laying down and she had me pinned to her side. So if you can visualize it, it'd be kind of like a couple laying in bed where like the guy's on his back and he's got his girl curled to his side. That's, that's what it was like. So she just laid down flat, and she she was pinning me to her side. And I remember just just these feelings of just absolute terror. Um, I you know, things were, yeah, I mean, things were running through my head like uh, I'm never going to see my mother again. Um, you know, and asking myself questions: Is she going to eat me? Is she going to carry me off? Is she going to kill me? You know, I'm not. I'm never going to see my mom again. I'm going to disappear, and nobody will ever know what happened to me. Um, and just this sense of panic, and just really trying hard not to just go into absolute hysterics. And I remember very distinctly, you know, and and um, I mean, I do consider myself a spiritual person, but I, I remember very distinctly in my mind, um. You know, call it the Lord, call it whatever you will. But I, I had this kind of voice coming to my mind say, whatever you do, do not panic. And so I just laid still, you know, and I was really still wrestling with those thoughts. And the whole time, she's just kind of, she's shuffling her, her legs and, and it was like leaf litter and saplings and that kind of stuff. And she's just kind of doing that. And she's still sort of gurgling. She's like, she's making vocalizations and sort of mumbling. Um, you know, and it was very animalistic and, you know, I talked to a friend of mine, um, a couple of months ago about, about this, you know, I actually, actually had, had dinner with him and his girlfriend and I told them that I remembered I lay there so long that my side fell asleep and it, and it hurt. So, you know, like when you do that and you lose the circulation, you're actually in pain and, and I was actually starting to be in pain. And so I had to, like, I finally had to adjust myself. And I remember sort of scooting a little bit closer to her and kind of talking to her like you would, like a dog or a cat, you know, just kind of, kind of like, hey, you know, you know, it's okay, yeah. you know. And I remember her kind of just sort of looking at me out of the, out of the corner of her eye, and she just still kept babbling. And and so I moved closer to her, and I was able to put my hand on her chest. And that's when I noticed that there were underdeveloped breasts. So beneath the fur, you could see the rise of two underdeveloped breasts. And um, I remember the texture of her fur. It actually reminds me a lot of an Irish wolfhound. So it was indeed fur. It was kind of oily, kind of kind of wiry, kind of thick. Um, 
a lot of people have asked me if I smelled anything. And the only thing I remember smelling at all was just earth, like dirt and, and leaves. No musky yeah. odor. But then again, you know, I, I really honestly think that I was dealing with a juvenile. So there, so there really wasn't those hormonal changes in, in her body either yet, you know. So she didn't give off any odor like that. It just, she just smelled like earth, you know. I do remember that there was no birds. There were no birds in the forest. It felt like it was a complete vacuum, no noise, nothing but her just, you know, making these vocals and shuffling her feet in the leaves. So um, I was just actually, I think I was just starting to kind of relax a little bit and, and get used to the idea of this happening when all of a sudden she just dropped me. And she flipped over onto all fours and her eyes pretty much just filled, just filled with, I mean, they were just black. So it was like, it was like the pupil dilated, but just, it was like, I don't know, I can't even really describe it. They were just like complete night eyes, for lack of a better term, just completely black. And she, in this growl was emanating from her chest so not really her throat it was like coming like a vibration from her chest and all of a sudden I heard my sister calling my name and I remember looking at her and I said hey that's my sister and she stopped you know she stopped making noise and just kind of glanced at me for a minute and then she moved off into the woods on all fours and I remember running to my sister and grabbing her and saying, hey, you got to come see my friend. And she was furious. And this is this my older sister. And she was a teenager. She was, she was furious. And she was like, never mind that. Dad's really upset right now. And um, he wants to know where, you, where you've been. And, you, you know, you're in trouble, all of this stuff. So I remember um, she had to, like, basically brush me off. I was covered in dirt. I had leaves in my hair, everything. It was an absolute mess. And she's, she's walking me to the house trying to clean me up and I remember going in and I think it was like dinner time and I sat down at the table with my dad but he made everybody else leave and he just sat there and he stared at me for a while and he said okay what happened this afternoon and um I knew he was talking about when you know me and this little girl had been in the playhouse and I said she got scared and she had an accident and that was that was all that I was willing to tell him I just felt like I would be in really, really big trouble if I told him the truth. So I didn't. And then he just kind of stared at me for a while and he said, well, um, I don't even remember the man's name of, of who this, this was, but he basically said that the man had called and said that he had to bring his daughter to the emergency room and that she was in hysterics and that his daughter told him everything. And I still wouldn't, you know, own up to what happened. And I just kind of sat there and I said, okay. And then he said, um, I absolutely forbid you to ever go in those woods again. And I remember that standing out to me because I'd never heard the word forbid before. And he had to explain what that meant. And he said, in fact, don't even go, don't go in the backyard anymore either. Um, you know, just stick to playing on the front stoop or in the front yard. And I said, okay. And um, I remember avoiding, you know, avoiding the backyard. But I do remember really weird things. Like I remember um, sometimes I'd find flowers on the back stoop. Like there would just be like a bunch of flowers just kind of laying right in the center. Um, and, then, you know, which which was odd. But I think I, 
I think when other people did, I would always say, you know, it was my friend and I was talking about, you know, Blondie. But um, yeah. I also just remembered that I forgot to tell you, after the incident, the first incident where um, the red, the red covered or red haired creature had torn up with to tear up the garden. Um, I think it was that afternoon or the next morning, my parents called me out into the backyard and the garden was absolutely destroyed. It was like the only thing that they left was tomatoes. That was it. Wow. And yeah. And there were tracks everywhere. And my mom made me tell the story again. And her and my dad were arguing about what happened. And my dad was like, well, maybe he was a high school band director for like 20 years. And he was like, well, maybe it was some of the kids and maybe, you know, maybe they're just playing a prank on me. And, and, um, she was like, how do you explain the footprints? And there was like no explanation. And so they were really baffled by that. But that was, that was like either that day that I got cut off by Blondie or, um, or the next day. I don't really remember. But anyway, um, the last time that I remember actually seeing her that I can think of was, um, I was playing on the front stoop and she came to the house and she had pressed her house or her body to the side of the house. And she kind of was just peering around looking at me so that I could only see one eye. And I remember standing up and very distinctly saying to her, I'm very sorry, but I can't play with you anymore. And I went back in the house. And um, the weird part about that is like, I remember now that I felt like a sense of sadness, but I wasn't really sure if that was coming from me or her. But there seemed yeah. to be like a lot of sadness with that. It was really strange. Um, and one of the other things that used to go on in that house was that I would wake up in the middle of the night to um, eyes at the window, and they would always be red eyes. And sometimes there would be multiple pairs. Sometimes it would just be one pair. Um, it was one night I was up late with my older sister and we were watching these eyes in the maple tree that I told you about where the the red creature was like was really tall. It was the same tree and her window faced it and there was one night where there was uh very large red eyes and a couple of other ones, but they were they were watching us and, and we would just be playing and then we'd look back out the window and sure enough we would still see the see the eyes. But when I was alone where um, where I slept, the eyes would happen so much that I would get sick of it and it would, it would really freak me out. So I, I took to sleeping between my bed and the wall so that I didn't have to deal with them looking at me. And I remember um, there was one morning in particular that my parents came upstairs looking for me and they couldn't find, find me and they were both really freaked out. And then when my dad finally found me, he said, why are you doing this? And I told him it was so that the eyes couldn't watch me. And um, I remember he was really disturbed by that, but he told me that he thought maybe it was an owl. And I think that may have been the first time I learned what owls were. So for a while, I thought these red eyes were just owls, you know. Um, and so, you know, right around the time when I think everything ended with me going out into the woods and seeing her, there was one night that my sister was gone and she was spending the night at a friend's house. And I think I got woken up by all this racket on top of the roof. I'm not sure. But I, I know it was about it was about sunset. So probably I'm guessing it was 
maybe in the summertime. But I remember going into the living room and my parents were just standing there staring at the ceiling. And there was growling and stomping and scratching noises. I mean, there was just this ruckus on our roof. And my parents were both really freaked out. And we had this dog. She was um, she was this border collie that they adopted from the pound. And she actually used to run with, with a pack of wild dogs in the, in the mountains. And she got captured and um, put up for, adopt, for adoption. And she was a really tough dog. And I remember her just laying there on the floor just shaking. And wow. Yeah, and so my, my dad picked her up. My mom picked me up, and we went into their bedroom. And I remember him loading his, his twenty two. Not that, that, not that it was going to do a whole lot, but he loaded his gun. He put it, I think, next to the door, and he made sure the windows were locked and that we were locked in, and all four of us piled into my parents' bed for the night. And um, I remember actually just this curling with my dog and her just shaking and falling asleep to this racket that was on the roof. Um, and then I remember my dad getting up and, you know, I was told to, to the next morning and I was told to just lay still until he went and checked everything out. He did and he didn't find anything for sure. So that's... Wow, that... Yeah, yep. And those those are the memories that I have of, of that. Those were my most intense um, dogman encounters. I know you, you also said that you've had uh, Sasquatch encounters also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have. And, you know, what's really weird is, is the first Sasquatch encounter that I remember in a really weird way kind of correlates with the dogman encounter only because... Um, because the circumstances were, were sort of strange. But with that, I actually stumbled onto another little girl having her own encounter. And what I mean by that is um, there was this lake that my parents used to take us to. It was a man-made lake in Shaftesbury, Vermont. And um, really small. Like when you're a kid, everything seems big. But it was, it was actually pretty small. And I think it was about 9 or 10. And um, there was all kinds of hiking trails and stuff back there and I used to again I was a wanderer a wanderer, you know. I used to kinda of wander around on these trails and so um one day I did that and I'm walking along this trail and there's uh, a bunch of, you know, beautiful pines and everything. And in the middle of the trail is this girl about my age, um, blonde haired girl, green bathing suit and I hear birds and it's like it's really beautiful. Right, so there's this one one bird in particular, this one bird call that's really elaborate, and she's got her neck craned all the way back, and she's got a big grin on her face, and she's looking up at something, and she's kind of cooing to it, you know, saying hi and stuff, and um, I start looking around, I don't see anything, you know, so, so I'm the kid looking all over the place, going, okay, what are we looking at, <laughs> you know, and then all of a sudden I noticed about, um, I think, I want to say maybe about 12 feet in in front of me, pressed up against a red pine tree, is this creature. And this creature is all burned in, cover, in color and it's completely, like, blending in really well with the, with the surroundings. But I noticed, um, I can notice the fingers are, like, a chocolate brown and the face is a chocolate brown. 
Now, here's the thing that, and I've talked to a lot of people about this. This did not look like an ape. It actually really looked very, very much like us to me. Um, Cupid bow lips, Roman nose, strong brow ridge, but, you know, um, big brown eyes. And I'm guessing it was male. I mean, I, I didn't see anything to specify one way or another, but um, he wouldn't make direct eye contact with me, but his lips were, you know, in the form of a whistle, and he was doing these bird calls. And so um, kind of, dead, you know, stopped dead in my tracks, and I'm looking at this thing, and I'm watching, watching it take its fingers, and it's kind of peeling, you know, bark off of the tree. And, um, you know, I, um, I think at that point I'm really just not, my brain's still trying to register what I'm seeing. And then all of a sudden, I noticed that it stopped whistling, and it kind of looked past me, and it made this face like it was really sort of irritated by something. And then I watched it turn its head away. Then I heard voices coming at the trail. And this little girl comes running over to me, and she kind of grabs me by the arm, and she was like, don't say anything. And I think I said, well, what is that thing? And she was like, she was like, that's my friend. And um, then we saw four teenage boys kind of walk down the crest of the hill towards us. And I think one of them was her brother. And he, you know, looked at her and he was kind of all tough about it. And he was like, you know, what are you, what are you doing here or something like that? And, um, you know, she said, I think she said nothing. And she put her arm around me and I was like, yeah, nothing. And so they kind of stopped and looked at us for a minute and, you know, saying some remarks under their breath, you know, or whatever. Then they started to walk away. So they're walking away, and when they got far enough away, I, I looked at her and I said, what is that thing? And she said, that's my friend. And she had this big smile on her face. And I said, that's a monster. And she was just really upset. And she was like, you know, he's not a monster. He wouldn't, you know, he's really nice. And um, I was like, no, that's a monster. And I think that we probably should get out of here and go back to the beach. And then the whistling started back up, and she completely forgot all about me and just kind of went back to where she was standing, and she was looking around for him, and she couldn't see him. And um, I started looking, too, and then I noticed that he was in the bushes, probably about maybe 20 feet back from where we were on the path. But this time it's looking at me. Um, This thing is squatted down in the bushes and has, has the bushes kind of parted with his hands. And I'm making direct eye contact with this thing. And I remember very distinctly having this feeling come over me like if I looked at it for too long, like I was going to lose my soul. That's really the only way I can describe it. Um, It felt like a seduction, not necessarily sexual, but just like a seduction into, yeah, what you're seeing is not supposed to exist, but it's really okay. You you know what I'm saying? I I just can't really describe it. It's just felt like a seduction and so it really scared me and I remember walking over to to this girl and I grabbed her arm and I started dragging her I was like we're leaving right now and she yanked away from me and was really really upset with me and she was like I'm not going anywhere that's my friend he's not going to hurt me and then she just kind of walked away and I watched her start talking to it and it and it stood up out of the bushes and it started to walk towards her and then I left. I don't remember anything between that and me leaving, but I, I do remember leaving, and I went back to the beach, and I sat down on the blanket, and my older sister was there, and 
my parents weren't. I think they may have rented a canoe and, and, you know, they were on the lake canoeing or something. But it took my sister a while, but she finally noticed the look on my face. And she, I remember her saying, all the color was drained from my face. And I looked like I'd seen a ghost. And, like, I was just really out of it. Like, I couldn't I couldn't even talk to her for a few minutes. And I remember really scaring her. And I said, I told her what happened. I said, I think I just saw a monster in the woods. And she was like, yeah, right, whatever. And then I was like, no. And I, I told her what happened. And I kept looking at the um, entrance into the woods. And I was really, really scared that I had made a huge mistake leaving that girl. And I was scared that she wasn't going to come back out. You know, all of these things were running through my mind. But a short time later, I watched her walk out. And so I was really relieved. And I told my sister. And uh, my sister got up and went over to where she was and, you know, confronted her and started talking to her. And then my sister came back a few minutes later and she was like, well, first of all, that girl's a jerk. And second, she said that you're lying and you're making it all up. And so, you know, I was really upset about it, but I didn't really care about that much, that part as much. I was just more relieved that she was okay because I just left her. So I went over to this girl and I asked her if she was okay and she was really mad at me. She was like, I told you not to say anything and I'm fine. And so, and then she just kind of walked off and I was just like, okay, you know, and and so I left it at that. Um, But on that lake, I had a second encounter. Um, I mean, the weird the weird thing was the whole correlation with, you know, and somebody pointed this out to me. I went through what I did with this type 3 creature, right? That was definitely not a Sasquatch, um, but I, I guess a type 3 dogman. And he pointed out how I got to the point where I was actually calling it my friend and how I stumbled upon this girl who was having this encounter with this Sasquatch and how she called him her friend. And I don't, I don't, I don't know. You know, I just thought that was an interest, interesting thing that he pointed out. I don't know if there really was just some sort of um, influence that was, that came over me, you know, when I was little and some kind of, some kind of influence that may have come over her. I don't know. But um, I had an, a second encounter there with a different creature, but my parents were with me. And, I'm pretty sure it was a holiday weekend and there was a, a suspension bridge that kind of hooked up some of the man-made islands on that lake. This is still Lake Shaftesbury. And my parents rented a canoe and it was just me and them. So my sister was somewhere else, but we were canoeing past the, the suspension bridge, you know, maybe 50 yards from it. And on the bridge was this very red creature. I mean, like a, I almost want to say scarlet. It wasn't the same individual I'd seen before. This thing was kind of short and squat and looked more like a troll. But it had a branch, and it was banging the surface of the water with this branch, and it was screaming. And the screams, to me, sounded an awful lot like some of the skookum screams that have been recorded out in Washington, if you're, if you're familiar with those. Yes, yes. Okay, so it sounded like that. And, I mean, the noise is bouncing off the water. It's bouncing off the trees. And the crazy thing is, is there's still other people, and this is broad daylight, there are other people trying to get across this bridge, and some of them are screaming and running the other way, and some of them are jumping into the water to swim to get away from this thing. I mean, and there were several people, and that's what's so crazy about this, because I'm still trying to find out any information on anybody who who witnessed this, right? 
But this was happening, and my parents started laughing because they thought it was just some guy in a costume scaring people. So um, so they were kind of laughing about it, like, wow, look at this jerk written in a costume, and he's scaring all these people. Wow, that's crazy, you know. And so they just kept going, and they ended up going around the lake. And then they came back, and they noticed that it was still going on. I think like 30 minutes had passed. I don't, I don't really know for sure. But, um, you know, time had passed. This thing is still on, on, on the bridge, still screaming. There's still people screaming and trying to get away from it. And it's, you know, still banging on the water. And so my parents decided that they wanted to be vigilantes and get close to this thing. So they roll over, and they're, you know, within feet, maybe 10 feet of this thing. And my mother is in the bow of the canoe. And she and we get a really good look at this thing. I mean, it was ugly. It was like the cross between, it really just looked like the cross between an orangutan. And if you've ever seen the movie Willow from the 80s, The Trolls, yeah. It looked like a troll. Okay, so it looked like one of these things. And my mom looks at it and she says, How dare you scare these people? And I remember, you know, and it had like a completely black face and it kind of cocked its head to the side and it was looking at my mom and kinda of, it kind of frowned. And then all, all of a sudden it just took in this deep breath and just shrieked as loud as it could. And my mother screamed. That's the only time I've ever or I ever heard the woman scream. And she screamed bloody murder. And she's instantly in hysterics. And my, da- my dad's in, you know, the stern. And he's trying to paddle us out of there. And she's way too hysterical to do anything. So the canoe's kind of kind of spinning and flipping everywhere because she's not doing anything. And he's trying to do all the work. And he got us far enough away that he ended up climbing over me. I'm in the middle to get to my mother and he just holds her. And, he, you know, all the colors drain from his face and it's obvious that he's really shooken up. And um, I'm just in shock because I don't know what happened and, and what we really saw for sure. And then he finally just looked at me and he was like, it's, it's okay, it's okay, Lisa. It's just, it's just a jerk in a costume. It's okay. And um, we ended up having to go back that way past the bridge again in order to, you know, get to where, you know, you had to return the canoes. And they they didn't want to go anywhere near there because they were really scared that, you know, something was going to happen. So they kind of went to the wide end of the the lake, but still still rode past. And by the time that that we made it past, there was nothing. There There was nothing on the bridge. I don't even think there were people walking across the bridge. It was like everything was quiet. It was really strange. So uh-huh. there was nothing, right? So, um, long story short, the only thing that I, I really remember is that my dad. This was a state park. Um, my dad went to the to the to the um, guard shack, and he was in there for about fifteen twenty minutes talking to the guy. And um, I actually remember him looking out at me and my mom, the 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 um, park ranger or whatever. I remember him actually looking out and just having this look of just, you know, worry and anxiety. And he he was looking at us in the car and he was talking to my dad. And then my dad came and got in the car and he said, um, yeah, he said several people came in and told him what happened. And, we all, you know, the only thing that anybody can figure out is that it was just a jerk in a costume that was scaring people. 
and my mother was just like, well, why would anybody do that? You know, and, and, and I remember uh, my dad was like, I don't know, but I could tell, you know, I, I like, I was smart enough to know, to know that they were lying and that they're trying to make something up and that that was not a jerk in a costume, you know? Yeah. And my dad was just kind of looking at me and just kind of looking at her and, and, um, you know, and, and the weird, the weird thing about all that, I mean, you know, they, they kept giving me the mantra of it was just a jerk in a costume. Don't worry about it, you know. But I have, I still have yet to hear anybody else come forward and say that they were there, or that they saw that happen, or that they that they heard that this that this happened. And I'm really, really looking forward to the day when somebody does, because then I'll know that you know <laughs> I wasn't crazy. But I mean, it happened. I mean, it was with my parents. Um, yeah. We never went back to that lake. My mother refused to go camping. She didn't want to talk about it, especially. Um, but the weird thing is, uh, you know, once I heard some of David Pilates, you know, stuff and his theories and everything, I just thought that it was interesting that, um, you know, I don't know if for some reason this was some an incident that was just for some reason kept under wraps, like if these guys at this park were telling people don't talk about it or, or whatever, it's just really strange because it never, as far as I know, it hasn't come to light, but there really were several eyewitnesses to this, to this event. And it happened as far as I remember, you know, unless I'm crazy. So, um, yeah, it was really, really strange. And that's almost the, the more strange, stranger part is that I still have yet to hear somebody come forward and say, yeah, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. It just hasn't happened yet. So, yeah, that was yeah. that was one of the stranger ones. Wow. Um, but you gotta think uh, these parks they have so much to lose if these creatures are actually exposed and the truth comes out that they're out there. Mm-hmm. It, it you gotta look they're making thousands upon thousands, if not millions of dollars a year in these national parks, and that's all they need is a bunch of people going around telling others there's monsters at this park don't go there exactly and added way too um and that's one of the reasons i believe too why people won't come forward with their sightings is because of ridicule um shame you know maybe the bully state also of being bullied and because i see it in so many groups um Someone puts evidence out or photos, and they people just berate it and want to tear it up and just it's it's not right for people to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Nobody has the right to judge anybody's evidence. Um, if you put up a picture and of the classic, you know what they call blob squatch. Just because you don't see something doesn't mean that someone else isn't more attuned with what's going on in the world and see something different because some people are awake and some people are still asleep. Mm-hmm. That's and, true. I, I, um, I'm i sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, you're fine. Um, I actually put – I posted a picture. Um, so there's a lot of activity here right where I'm at now. And actually my, um, my ex is – uh, mother owns a lot of property just north of Nashville, and she's got a lot of activity. 
it's not something she wants to talk about or even acknowledge, but I've seen things, my children have seen things at her house. And in fact, I was taking a picture one day of um, what I thought looked like a hieroglyph um, that, I, that was like really fresh and in the woods and that I had assumed was probably left behind by um, Sasquatch. I mean, it looked like a stick figure. It honestly looked like something out of the Blair Witch Project. But um, I was taking a picture of this, and then I sent it to a friend of mine in um, New Mexico who's uh, more or less kind of loosely affiliated with the BFRO, but he's, he's done some amazing stuff out there. And, so, and he analyzed his photographs, and I sent it to him. Then I get this email back a few hours later with a white arrow, and he was like, look underneath the arrow. And you can see the head of a dog. And in this, but this is not a dog. And I mean, the length of the ground to where he pointed the head was probably about six feet. Wow. So there is this, yeah. And I didn't notice it when I took the picture of the hieroglyph at all. I felt like it was being watched. I didn't see it. But I posted it to another group that I'm affiliated with, and about half the people could see it, no problem. Everybody else had no idea what, what anybody was talking about. So, yeah, I, I, I think that that's true, too, which is really strange. Um, but I was really excited when somebody saw it because I was like, good, I know I'm not crazy. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah I, see I see it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, not everybody's going to see stuff like that because they're not they're not open. When you're open-minded – You'll see things that other people won't see. You know, it's just common sense. Uh, Closed-minded mm-hmm. people, they don't think outside the box. They're not going to see what the real world, what's going on outside of our everyday world that we're in. Right. And and there's, you know, I'm glad that you have a a gate. A, I'm sorry, a great group um, with the. Like an international Sasquatch Association. Tell me a little bit about this group. But first off, before we get into that, I had seen where you had been posting that you wanted to get a expedition together um, next year sometime mm-hmm. to uh, to land yeah. between the lakes. Yep. Yeah, I'm actually working on that right now. Um, honestly, I think you know i I don't know if there's going to be more. I just know that. I, I live two hours away from the LBL, and I have spent time in Paris, Tennessee, and in fact, on Paris Landing, which is on the water, and during the day, it's really creepy. Um, I mean, it really is. There, There's just something that hangs over that place that is just strange, but I've been hearing so much about the LBL, um, and in fact, I really am very convinced that one day when... Um, we were driving through, and my son, who's um, you know, he's 18 now, but I think it was like two years ago. He was, you know, he was 16. I think he got zapped. I really think he got hit with infrasound because he was fine one minute, and then we were driving through, and all of a sudden he wasn't, and it was like he lost his balance. Like he said, he had a headache, and he felt really out of it. And that's just what kept running through my mind was did he get hit with infrasound? So. Um, you know, just for that and just other reasons and hearing stories and everything. And I was like, and I thought about it and I was like, I'd really, really like to go. And I, I do know a lot of other researchers. Um, some of them are, you know, very respected researchers and everything. And I, um, I'm, but I'm, I'm pick, you know, I, I pick and choose who I associate with only just because 
even even with some of the researchers, I just still feel like there's some people that you shouldn't trust, you know, and I, I I'm not, not trying to. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I'm just, right. I'm just very choosy about that. But um, so I have I have a group. Well, I mean, I have a. Oh, I have. Yeah, I do. I have a group of people that we're all actively talking about this right now. Not everybody's going to go, but um, some people want to go. And we're trying to figure out the best way to even approach it because we don't want to be intrusive. Um, but we'd kind of like to just go and just check it out and just see if there's any validity to all of these stories that um, that we're hearing. But it's drawn the eye of some like some people that have, have been there, some people that have been researching this stuff for over 30 years um, that are also interested and may actually go with us. So once there's an actual expedition up, I don't know yet what I'm going to do. I don't know if I'm just going to be like, okay, okay, guys, let's just go hang out and if we find something interesting, we'll talk about it. Or if I'm going to be like, yeah, all these people are going. Because I don't, I don't know yet. I think I'd almost rather just kind of keep a hush-hush and just, just go and check it out and then just say, yeah, this is, this is what we found or we didn't find anything. I don't know. Um, but it actually attracted the attention of this guy um, who came all the way out from Texas a couple of weeks ago just to, just to see me and, and meet me concerning Dogman and Sasquatch because he'd, um, he's never actually seen one. And he was, he's a great guy. I mean, you know, good head on his shoulders, you know, very, very, you know, at first I was like, this is this, I thought he was crazy wanting to come to, you know, see me, but he's heard my story yeah. and everything. And um, we actually found stuff just down the street from my house. We found um, this huge trackway where we found not only um, Sasquatch tracks, but Dogman tracks as well. And in fact, a handprint that had claws. I mean, it, just some really scary stuff. But Wow, that's scary, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I actually have some of those posted on um, my group, but... And the scary thing is, is that there's a man that disappeared um, April twenty second. They is in that park, and they found absolutely no trace of this guy, um, which is also extremely disturbing. And when my friend and I stumbled across these tracks, I mean, we were both very equally disturbed. We also came across a campsite that had been completely destroyed, and everything was left behind. But we don't think that's connected to the disappearance of this man, although it could be only because um, we found a shoe inside the uh, the tent, and it was it was a flip flop. It was a purple flip flop with flowers, and it it was obviously belonged to a woman. But everything was left. Coolers were left. Um, the really expensive, you know, nice wool socks that you get at sporting goods stores were just left. Sleeping bag was left. Everything was left, and the tent itself was torn in half. So um, that was also very disturbing. So um, I don't yes. know. Um, and so, and like I said, so I just we just happened to stumble across that. I think with with the expedition, it's not we're not trying to to prove anything exists because everybody that's involved with this is, is either an eyewitness or a researcher, and most of us have seen things. That's enough to convince us that something exists. So we're not trying to go bag something and, and prove to the world that this stuff exists. Um, and me personally, I'm not about that. I have no reason. I don't feel any reason to prove the existence of this stuff or to make money off of it. I mean, 
because honestly, and like even for me, um, when I find evidence, I'm really screwed up for a couple of days. So you want to talk about PTSD? Uh, we found those tracks on a Sunday, and my friend went back to Texas Monday, and I had to go to work, and I couldn't focus. I could not focus at work. I kept thinking about what was down the street in the park, and it really bothered me a lot. Um, felt really, really disturbed. I do get something that comes to my house sometimes. Like, I actually will hear something walking around on my roof, and, um, you know, and it's bipedal, whatever it is. And in fact, uh, I think like a few days after we had been in the park, something came to my house and I woke up about 4.30 in the morning and I literally could hear something stand up, walk across the roof and jump off the other end because there is a canal behind my house that it runs into my neighborhood and you can actually, if, if you can actually follow it down. It's like a, a dry creek bed um, half the year and it goes into the river, into like the river bottoms. So, and I've, I've found tracks. Um, I went back into the canal and there was a very strong animal odor. And in fact, when I first moved in here, I had, I had several tree breaks. Um, and it was really alarming. Um, so I, I had activity here, had eye shine, have not seen anything. But my son was telling me that um, he was getting growled at because his, his room's in the back of the house. And in fact, he got so used to getting growled at that he would actually just kind of wake up, hear it, roll over, and go back to sleep. So, um, and he's he's had his own sightings, um, and my my daughters too. Uh, one of my daughters has not, but everybody else has. So, like I said, it kind of sort of seems to run in the family, and and it does. And then and then the day when I found these tracks, and I could smell this this that an animal had been there, and. I was really, really out of it. Like I, I had to just kind of sit down and I had to just allow myself to feel out of it and kind of detached and just sort of like I wasn't really here and just overwhelmed. And to me, those are symptoms of PTSD, okay? So it's almost like it was just bringing all of the old feelings that are connected to encountering this stuff back up. Um, I don't like being grabbed ever since, you know, what happened when I was a kid. I hate being grabbed. I don't like seeing any hands come near my head or kind of my neck at an angle. It, it actually really freaks me out, but I think it's because of what happened to me. Um, yeah. And the last the last dogman encounter I did have was at my in-laws. And there's a very big individual that's there um, that my daughter, my niece, and myself, and I'm not sure how many other family members have seen. And this thing, um, part of the reason why I call it Lycan instead of, you know, Dogman International. I mean, it's partially, it's, it's an acronym for the name Lisa, but this individual that we have seen, I mean, I'm going to guess 12 feet tall, but muscle-bound body and the head of a wolf and, and on top of this body, you know, very muscle bound. Um, Whoa. Very big. Oh, yeah, very big. Um, the first time I saw it, uh, we were actually hunting in the back acreage and I was on a tree stand and I I saw it walk through the back, kind of the back quarter of, of you know, trees and I could just see brown and a really long arm and didn't see the head. So at first I thought it was a squatch and I was like, okay, well, I, I figured that they're here, you know? Um, but then 
the arm reminded me of some of the drawings on um, Dogman Encounters, like the, the the homepage. It was it was an arm like that, like really long and had claws at the end of it. But I also found extremely large canine prints, huge prints. And at first I was thinking big cat, but cats don't retract, or they do retract their claws, and canines do not. So there was that, but I would also hear um, what sounded like barking, but it was more like a choke in the throat. So it, so it was almost like something was barking with its mouth closed. Um, and those I actually heard with my with my ex-husband um, in the woods at, at my in-laws. And I do remember very distinctly one morning, um, about 4 o'clock in the morning, hearing this very deep, loud, mournful howl just come from the woods. Um, so I wasn't really piecing everything together, but then I kept thinking that I was seeing something and I wasn't sure. And then finally my daughter came to me and she told me that um, back, I think it was back in 15 when we we were getting hit with really bad winter storms. Um, I worked at a hotel, so I got snowed in and there and I had to stay there because nobody else could come make it to work. And so my ex had the kids at, at um, his mom's. And my daughter told me that she was outside with her two little sisters playing and she looked at the woods and she said there was this thing standing there watching them and she said it looked looked like a werewolf. And I remember just absolutely shaking when she told me because I I knew what it was. And um, I kept feeling like I was getting glimpses, but I didn't really have a full-on sighting until about 18 months ago. Um, I was leaving my in-laws um, about evening time, going to get in my car, and I looked at the wood line, which was, um, I don't know how many yards, maybe 100 yards. There he was, just standing there, like right at the edge of the tree line, um, just watching, you know, not not showing any form of aggression, not showing any teeth, not nothing, just, but almost this body language of, I know you can see me. Do we have a problem? You know, yeah. that's exactly, it was like its attitude was just like, okay, yeah, you see me, you can do something better or what? You know, like, <laughs> like, no, you're not. So keep moving to your car. <laughs> that straight <laughs> up after right. male mentality. Yes, very much. And so, but I remembered the fear. I mean, the fear I felt was just this, it, it's almost reverent. You know, it's like, it's, you know, yes, I'm sure everybody has been around animals that they know can hurt them. But this is, it's like that, but it's like a thousand times worse. It was just this really distinct feeling of, I almost like I'm designed to be its prey. You know, and I know this thing could close the gap between me and it within a matter of seconds and I would be dead. And that's it. Like, those were the feelings that came over me of just knowing this. Um but that was that was the last clear sighting that I ha- that I've had, and I actually do have. I think I have some pictures posted on like, and I'm not sure about uh, of, of a very nice shot of a dogman that I took accidentally um, about a year ago. There, um, I just because of the area where I've seen things, I just I've just gone ahead and freely have photographed stuff at at times to see if anything shows up. And sure enough, there's a very good picture of a dogman um, next to a tractor. Again, like we just said, you know, even in posting it, some people would just be like, oh, it's this. And then other people would be like, wow, that's, that's a nice shot. So um, I actually may go ahead and just because we're talking about it, and I don't know if anybody 
in my group is listening, but I may go ahead and post those tonight um, just, just to kind of remind people. But they're, they should be up on Lycan anyway. Um, so, yeah, you know, and um, my son had his own encounter down the street from his, his grandparents at his high school. He, you know, because it's surrounded by farmland, and he he saw one one night when he was um, he was there for sports, and they had to run, like, laps around the, the whole high school, and it was, but it was dark. But he looked over at, you know, a farmer's field, and he saw one. He saw one running through the field. But he said that there was a car also driving through the field, which he thought was weirder than seeing a dog man. Um, and he said that it disappeared into the trees, and the dog man chased the car into the trees. <laughs> so that kind of bothered He was trying mm-hmm. to figure that out more than, than the fact that he saw a dog man. He was like, why did I, why, is, why was there a car? <laughs> you know, so, so yeah, it's, it's, um, it's kind of strange. I mean, We've had, you know, we've just, as a family, we've just had encounters, um, you know, here and there. I mean, I, I I saw a really big alpha male squatch on my, my, my grandfather's property when I was about 10 or 11. Big, huge male that was watching me. Um, I was sitting outside reading, and my grandfather had, like, those big colossal um, sunflowers, you know, and this thing the sunflowers came up to its shoulder. Um, I mean, that's how massive this thing was. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I, I do remember that after I saw it, my grandfather came out, um, asked me where, where I'd seen it, and he kept raising his hand, you know, higher and higher above his head. And my, my grandfather was about 6'3". So this thing, this thing was, was pretty massive. So um, Yeah, I've seen, I've seen some of those... Um sunflowers how tall they get uh there used to be a small field uh close up to where my grandparents lived and they would get 10 12 foot tall easy Mm -hmm. yep they do so well it sounds like to me that your family is just a magnet for that type of um of activity i mean yeah, um, yeah, I think so too. You know, and that's something that I've really been trying to figure out for a long time. Um, you know, I really, um, I used to feel really cursed. I don't feel blessed, but I mean, it's more of an acceptance of okay, this is this is my reality, I guess. You know. Yeah. But yeah, I've I've been I've been really trying to figure out why too, and I've I've heard of um, but I've, I've also run into other people that have have that happen to them, like they've they've had ongoing encounters and. Um, so I don't, I don't know why, uh, that's really a lot of, you know, there's, I think there could be like a lot of theories involved with why, but it's just really hard to know for sure. Yeah. Well, I know one thing, I thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your experiences, even though you've had some traumatizing ones in your earlier life uh being a kid uh mm-hmm. you you're you're a brave woman to come forth and talk about these types of things and i really really appreciate you what you're doing uh once again thanks for the add to the group i really enjoy the people that's in the group and if anyone out there is listening um you can catch um episode of Lisa on Dogman Encounters on the 
Dogman Encounters YouTube channel. Uh, can you remember what number episode that was that you were on? I've been on episode 72, 160, and 199. Okay, folks, you heard it there. Well, Lisa, once again, I want to thank you for coming on to the show. That's all the time that I have for tonight. Guys, keep a check on the Facebook page, Ninja of the Woods, for next week's guest. And, you know, maybe uh, at another time we can have you back on to talk about some other things, you know, uh, some more encounters if you would care. Well, I really, really appreciate it. And, uh, guys, thank you all. Good night and God bless. Thank you.